All right, thank you, Heather. And that's what we're talking about today is we're talking about the fact that, uh, that love didn't make the first move, that God made the first move and he came to us when we couldn't come to him. And we're gonna talk about how we can relate to that, how we can understand that through the eyes of the Christmas story. We're gonna look at it and for the next few weeks, what we're gonna do is with this series called Believe, is we're gonna look at different aspects of the Christian story, of the Christmas story from the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, his virgin birth as he was born, as he lived and then he died. We're gonna look at this Christmas story and how that applies to our lives. So if you wanna go ahead and grab your message notes, you can take these out of your program and you might wanna write some notes or thoughts down today. All the Bible verses we'll use, you'll be able to find there. If you want to open your Bible up to Matthew 1, we're going to be there in just a little bit. And you might want to write some notes in there as well. So we're going to talk about how the virgin birth of Jesus Christ changed the world. And we're going to do it through the idea of the name that this baby was given. Now, names are very important, but they're specifically very important in the Bible. That uh, parents in the Bible would name their children, they would look at them and say, here's who I dreamed that you would be, or here's who I want you to become, and they would give them this name. Or there's other times, and you look at people in the Bible, and that as their character's being developed, and you're able to see their character, is that their names would actually be changed to be in line with the character that that baby has. So names are very important in the Bible. Now, I was thinking about my name, and I have a very unusual name, and you know me as Ron, but my name is actually Ron Dull, R-O-N-D-A-L. And so I looked up my name this week, and I said, okay, what does my name mean? Because I want to know what my name means. So I went to my, bi- my baby book that I have at home about ba- um, names that you can name your baby, and I looked up my name, and it means, you know, you, you're a little scary when you do this, because you're not sure what your name's actually going to mean, right? And whether you're going to be happy with what you find. But, you know, I was pretty pleased. It says this. It says that my name means the one who rules with wisdom or mighty ruler. I'm like, yeah, I like that kind of strong name that kind of, you know, come at it that way. But also there's kind of a sub meaning that I went to and I discovered this kind of sub meaning in the Hebrew that my name actually means song or joy or someone who's happy. And so I read that and I'm thinking, well, that's not quite accurate since I can't sing a lick, you know, can't you know, do anything like that. And so I was thinking about that mighty ruler or someone who's happy and sings and makes other people happy. And I thought, well, okay, that kind of, you know, propelled my destiny. I could have either been Ronald Reagan, you know, wise ruler or Ronald McDonald, okay? <laughs> and they're happy and makes other people happy, those kinds of things. So names are important. In this series, what we're going to do is we're going to look at one name and three titles. One name and three titles given to this baby who was born of a virgin. And we're going to look at Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, Lord, and how this Christmas story can apply to us. And I believe that it can waken us up to Christmas in a new way. And this Christmas may have more meaning than any other in our lives, actually. Now, the idea behind the series is this. In order to know what Christmas is all about, I need to know the one Christmas is all about. In order to know what it's about, I need to know the one that Christmas is all about. Or to say it another way, Christmas is not just about the present under the tree. Christmas is about the person in the manger. And so in this series, we're going to be concentrating on the person in the manger as we focus on the Christmas story over the next few weeks. So I'm just, my prayer is that it would restore or renew or begin your understanding of the importance of Christmas, the importance of Christmas, that we're not moving into a holiday season. We're moving into the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ, 
that is Christmas. Now, most of us are familiar with the Christmas story, maybe a little too familiar, kind of like, you know, that I've referenced this before. It's kind of like the Pledge of Allegiance syndrome. You know, you say the Pledge of Allegiance, you say it, say it, say it, say it till over time. It doesn't really have a lot of meaning. It's just words that you might say. And that's how the Christmas story can actually be for some of us. We've heard it, heard it, heard it, heard it, heard it, and it's just a story, and it's lost its significance, and it's lost its meaning for us in many ways. We're just a little too familiar about it. We've heard it, we've read it, Maybe even some of us got to be in it, okay? As we were kids, we acted in it, and we were in a church in some way, and we were a sheep or a shepherd or a wise man or an angel, or we were Joseph or we were Mary, or maybe we were just one of the lucky ones, and our birth happened right around Christmas, and we got to be Jesus. We got to be baby Jesus. So maybe that was us. But anyway, we know the story, and maybe it's just a little too familiar with us. But I want you to know this. To some of us, it's just a story, but it is reality. It's history. We can go and look at this story and realize it's actually history that we're reading when we read the pages of the Bible. So today what we're going to do, we're going to look at the name that God chose to give his son, the name that God chose to give his son. Now think about this. He could have chosen any name to give his son. He could have chosen any name. He's got like this one opportunity because we're gonna look at it a little bit. John three sixteen says his only begotten son. So this is one chance, his one chance to name his son that would declare for all time who this baby was going to be in our lives. And he specifically named his son Jesus. Look at what the angel says. The angel's talking to Joseph about what is about to happen. and says this in Matthew 1. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child conceived within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus. Right there, Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. You might underline that, save his people from their sins because that's the meaning of Jesus. Jesus means God saves. If you wanna make it even more personal, it means God saves us. Even more personal, God saves me. Jesus means God saves me. And in this one name, we have the entire meaning of Christmas. The entire meaning of Christmas in this one name. If you want to get to the bottom of Christmas and why Christmas is so important and why Christmas is so significant, you've got to get to the bottom of what this one name means. You see, Jesus came not to be our coach, folks. Jesus came not to be our teacher. Jesus came not to be our helper. Jesus came not to be the giver of second chances. Jesus came for one purpose, and that was to be our Savior. He came to be our savior. He came to be the one who would save us from our sins. His one mission, his singular purpose as he came to earth is this, to save his people from their sins. He said it himself when he's talking about why he came in Luke chapter 19. He says, I have come to seek and save the lost. His number one purpose, he came to be our savior. And it's so important for us to understand this. I know that the word savior and saved and born again are the kind of terms that, um, that sometimes in our culture have become negative. And some, so therefore, because our culture looks at them in negative, sometimes those in the church can be ashamed or embarrassed to say that I needed a savior and so I'm saved. I'm saved. This is, it should be proud. I'm sa- I needed, I'm saved. I'm saved. I needed to be saved. And I needed a savior and he came 
for me. And what we need to understand here is he came to save you. He came to save me. He came to save the world. Every man, woman, and child, Jesus came to be their Savior. So on December 25th, when you get up on that Christmas morning and you walk out into your house, what you're doing on that Christmas morning is you're celebrating the birth of God's Son, the Savior of the world. The Savior, your Savior. And that's good news. The angel said that. We're going to look at it in just a minute. It says, this is good news for all people. The best news ever because we all need a Savior. It's so important for us to understand this. Now, just like it's kind of the Christmas story can become a little old and a little too familiar if we're not careful, the whole idea of Jesus being our Savior can be the same way. You may be sitting there today and you walked into church today and you're wondering, I wonder what we're doing today. I wonder what we're talking about today. And, and then you realize, oh, 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 he's talking about Savior. And you're just kind of yawning, ho-hum today. That could be your response. And you may be thinking, oh, Savior, Ron, that's so yesterday. You know, <laughs> what are you going to give me today? I know about Savior. I understand the whole idea. I know I need a Savior, Ron. I've heard, if I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times that I need a Savior. And maybe at some point, Ron, I did say yes to Jesus being my Savior. But isn't that old? Isn't there something more? Isn't there something more? Well, today what I hope happens in every one of us is I hope we move past the ho-hum and the yawns and that we wake up to the best news God ever gave. The good news that he sent his son, Jesus, to be your savior, to save you. Now, in order to receive Jesus as savior and know him as savior, well, I have to be able to see him and experience him. And I wanna give you a couple of barriers that keep people, I believe that keep people from being able to experience and know Jesus as their savior. Now, these are barriers that are created by people who already know him by people who've already said yes to him, but people who would already say he's my savior. So here are two barriers that keep people from, who don't know Jesus as their savior from coming to know Jesus as their savior. Two barriers created by those who already know him. The first one is this, poor explanations by those who do. So the reason someone can't come to know Jesus as savior is because it's, they've had a poor explanation about what it means from someone who already knows him. So basically, you know, we're good people and we understand that, oh, I know it's my responsibility to go out and tell people they need to know Jesus as their savior. And so we go out and we try to do that and we talk to them. And what happens is, as we're talking, they kind of, you know, sometimes you can see the eyes kind of glaze over and we get all uncomfortable and we get like our dislocation. We get out of balance. And so as we're out of balance there, we're trying to figure out exactly how to do it. And then all of a sudden we realize, oh, I don't think they're really open to Jesus as their Savior. Hey, let me talk about church, okay? Talk about church. You need to come, you know, let me talk about all you can do. Let me talk about all the ways you can serve. Let me talk about all the ways we can help the homeless, all the ways we can help the hurting. Here's all the things we can do. And then what happens is you're talking about all the things we can do for Jesus and you never talk about Jesus. And we get so caught up in that. Or we get, you know, come to the place where we say, okay, I, need to, I know I need to talk about Jesus. I know I need to talk about their need for Jesus. And he was like, I'm going to do my best to tell the story. Okay, here we go. First there was Adam. And then there was Eve, and they were in a garden. 
and they ate a fruit, okay? And because they ate the fruit, they were separated and they saw that they were naked and they had to put clothes on and they were kicked out of the garden. And then they began living their life and God gave rules and they broke the rules and they went into captivity. They're in captivity. And then there was all these locusts and there was blood and the water and everything. And they got set free and they went to the promised land. And then they get to go to the promised land and then they, they sinned against God. And he had judges and he had people that took him once again into captivity. And then they're waiting for their Messiah. And finally, there was one day, this guy was born and they said he was the second Adam. And the second Adam came and the second Adam came and he's the one that's going to redeem people for their sins. And the second Adam, he went to the cross and he died and he died on the cross and he was put in the tomb and he was resurrected on the third day and he went to heaven. And there's this dragon with seven heads and the sacred with seven heads. He's going to come after you and he's going to attack you and then he's going to win the battle. Jesus win the battle and we'll all go to heaven. Do you want to go? <laughs> oh. And the person you're talking to is going, how quickly can I get out of here? <laughs> I'm not going anywhere with you. You're whacked. <laughs> oh. So folks, what we have to do is we have to learn how to explain clearly why people need a Savior and how Jesus came to be that Savior. So poor explanations is one barrier. The second one is this. And this is where it's going to get really hard this morning. It's going to get a little tight right now. Poor examples from those who do. Here's what keeps people from choosing Jesus as their Savior. Poor examples from those who do. One of the most common barriers that people say that keep them from wanting to know Jesus as their Savior and pursue him and get to know him is not that they don't know people who follow Jesus, but that they do. They do. The reason most people don't say yes to the offer of salvation is not that they don't know people who follow Jesus, but that they do know people who follow Jesus. Oh, I heard this explained in a way that I think will kind of help us out here a little bit. So we've got a person who follows Jesus and someone who doesn't follow Jesus. The person who follows Jesus is saying to the person who doesn't follow Jesus, you need to follow Jesus. The person who doesn't follow Jesus has been looking at the person who does follow Jesus' life and then says something like this. As I'm looking at your life, person who follows Jesus, the way I see it is, I'm already doing a better job at my life than you are. I'm nicer to my kids. I, I'm kinder in my family. I'm a better husband or a better wife. I'm more honest. I am a better employee or a better employer than you are. Uh, and I seem to be more giving and helping out with people in needs than you are. So as I look at you, and I look at me, I just kind of feel that I'm overall a better person than you are, and I'm doing it without Jesus Christ. So why do I want to adopt a religious system, a faith system, that ultimately is going to make me like you? Can you see how this goes? You see why this is so dangerous? One person said it this way, too. He said this, the person who doesn't follow Jesus will look at the person who does follow Jesus and based on everything I said right there, the person who doesn't follow Jesus would say, hey, you need to reject Christianity and follow me because I don't know what I believe and I'm better than you are. And that's the danger, folks, that we have when we don't live the life that God's called us to live that be examples that people would want to follow. And we become a barrier by the way we live. Now, I'm saying we have to be perfect, right? Because we know we're not. We're not to be perfect. But we do, we live within the guardrails that God has set up. And as we live within those guardrails, doing our best in humility to walk 
in humility with him, then people will see that and they'll be drawn to that and they'll want to know about the person who changed my life and made me better and made me a different person. So those are two barriers. Now I wanna give you two benefits, okay? Let's look at two benefits that for someone who says yes to Jesus as their savior. And the first one is this, he saves me from my sin and my guilt. He saves me from my sin and my guilt. So because Jesus is my savior, I can be free and I can know forgiveness and I can know freedom from guilt. Now, what I wanna do, as I just wanna help us out here a little bit, we're all in church today, it's a great place to be. Confession is a wonderful thing to do at church when you come there. So I'm just gonna ask us to do kind of a mass confession this morning together, okay? So I just wanna ask a question, I'm gonna give us some categories and I'm gonna ask you if you agree or you don't agree to this. Here we go. If anybody has sinned at least once last year, so we start out there. If anybody has sinned at least, don't raise your hand yet, okay? I know you're eager, but I'll just go slow down. If anybody has sinned at least once this year, you've fudged a little, you've got a little deceptive, you've told a lie, you've gossiped, you overlooked someone who had a need, you've got a little greedy, selfish, arrogant, or self-centered. If you've sinned at least one time in the last year, or if you think you're pretty clean, but the person next to you looks like they really went south, raise your hand high. Okay, there we go. Everybody raise your hand, keep it up, keep it up. Now everybody look around the room, look around the room. Look around the room. This is a depraved crowd, okay? This a, we're all, we're depraved, okay? We're all sinners, right? We're all, we've all sinned. And that's what Paul says in Romans chapter three. Look at this, he says this. Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God with undeserved kindness declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus Christ as the sacrifice for our sins. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. So here's the deal. Everybody sins. Everybody has sinned. Each one of us has sinned in some way. And therefore, what these verses say is that we deserve God's punishment for sin. We deserve God's punishment for sin, and that is eternal separation from him, judgment, eternal separation from him. Without Jesus, there's no hope. I can't do enough things, I can't be good enough, I can't keep enough rules, I can't serve enough, I can't give enough, all the things, I can't do enough. I need a savior. I need someone who comes in to do what I could not do for myself. And so I then, as I receive him, as I connect with him, I'm able to have my guilt, my sin and my guilt removed. Heaven came to earth in the form of a baby. Heaven came to earth and this baby lived a perfect life and died on a cross to take the punishment for our sins so that when we say yes to him as our savior, everything that was accomplished on that cross allows me to be free from guilt and sin. Okay, the second benefit is this. He saves me from my fears and failures. He saves me from my fears and my failures. And the angel's talking to the shepherds here and says this. The angel said to them, fear not, for I, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you was born this day in the city of David, a savior, circle that, a savior who was Christ the Lord. So what the angel's making it clear here is he's saying, you no longer have to live in fear. And as in our context today, you no longer have to live in fear that you can't gain approval by God. For sure you can't gain approval by God from the way you've been trying up till this point and all the things that you've been doing and you've lived in fear, wondering am I in or am I out or am I in or out? You know, wonder about it, but it's because 
the Savior came, and because you said yes to him, you no longer have to live in fear. But also, you no longer have to let your failures, your failures define you. I want to kind of do another questionnaire here, and this is not mass confession, so don't raise your hand. I know some of you are eager to get your hands up, but this is not mass confession here. This is internal, how you would process yourself. We all have areas we fail, right? All have areas we fail. We're all aware of that. Okay. How many of you wish you have some habits that you wish you didn't? You don't have to raise your hand here. How many of you have some habits you wish you didn't? How many of you have, you have some issues that cause you grief and misery and the people around you grief and misery? How many of you have patterns that you have allowed into your life or that you've adopted that cause you and others pain? We all do. We have all failed. Now, how many of you have been able to overcome your failures on your own? We can't do it. We cannot do it. We can't be good enough. We can't learn enough. We can't read enough. We can't try hard enough. I can over only overcome my failures through the power of Jesus Christ given to me. Through Christ, I can change. Through Christ, I can overcome my failures. And because I have a Savior, I can be free from my fears and from my failures. I can know freedom from sin and freedom from guilt. And I can be free. Now, look on the backside of your notes. Let's talk for just a minute about two ideas. Once again, these are twos today as we go through this. Two ideas about how you would choose Jesus Christ as your Savior. How do I make Jesus Christ my Savior? How do I know he's my Savior? Two ideas. First one is this. I need to admit my desperate need. So I have to come to a place where I admit my desperate need for him, that I'm desperate for him. Now, Ephesians 2, we're going to kind of walk through this um, several verses, and I just encourage you, if you have time, you might want to go back and read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 this week and kind of meditate on that. I'm going to read several of them today, but here's what Paul says in verses 1 through 3. Once you were dead, now here we go, you understand this, everybody is dead. Really, Ron? I, thought, I, don't feel, I don't feel that. Yeah, everybody, the Bible says, is born dead, spiritually dead. So it's talking about everyone. Once again, it's inclusive here. Everybody's in the same boat here. Once you were dead, so it's talking about people who are no longer dead because they've said yes to Jesus as their Savior. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, all of us used to live that way. So you say, hey, that's the way it is. That's the way we're born. Following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature— by our very nature, because we were dead, because we were sinners, and we just need to acknowledge that we were sinners, we were subject to God's anger, God's wrath, God's judgment. God will judge, holy God will judge us for our sin and our condition, just like everyone else. So everyone was in the same boat. Now, the first step to knowing Jesus is my Savior is for me to be willing to admit that I'm dead, that I am a sinner and that I need saving, that I'm desperate. I can't, you know, once again, I can't do enough. I can't be great enough. I can't, I just couldn't do, I got to get off of that. I'm trying to earn my way to God. And I have to, and truly, this is what I have to do. I have to, in humility, I have to come to God and I have to humble myself before him 
and say, you know what, God, I live in a culture that's all about get it, get it, get it. If you want it, you got to do it. You got to do it yourself. You got to go. You got to, you got to make it happen yourself. And that's where I come from, God. But here I know I'm, what I'm, I'm hearing you say is I can't, I'm going to humble myself right now and I'm going to admit that I need Jesus. I need to be saved. I can't save myself. So I come to him in humility and I admit to him that I'm desperate for him. And then the second idea is this, I then accept his free gift. I accept this gift, this extravagant gift of love that he offers me. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So God's gift of salvation is something I have to accept. I get a gift, it's nicely wrapped, but until I rip that wrapping off and I open up the box and look inside, the gift is not mine. I, at a certain point, have to accept what he did for me. I've admitted I need him. Now I have to accept, say, I can't earn it. I can't, you know, as much as I want to try. Okay, now that I, you know, we get all confused. We think afterwards we have to earn it, but no, I have to accept it. I have to accept that that free gift. So here's the same thing. I have to come to God and I have to, in humility, humble myself before him, bend the knee, and I have to say to God, God, I accept what you've done for me through Jesus Christ. I can't do it on my own. And I want you to know that as I accept this gift today, what I realize is that I've been made new, I've been saved. And then I want to live the rest of my life with you. That you would do this for me. It's amazing. Now, this whole idea about Jesus being our Savior. uh, All of the writers of the New Testament, the, the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they wrote about their accounts with Jesus Christ. Now, John, when he was writing, he was writing about 30 years after Jesus' death. So after about 30 years after Jesus' death, he's writing, he's reflecting on walking with, he began following Jesus when he was about 18. So he's reflecting back and he's reflecting on what it was like to walk with Jesus, what he saw in Jesus, what Jesus did, how it meant to him. Then at the cross, Jesus says to John, John, I want you to take care of my mother, Mary. And so now John's taking care of Mary after Jesus died. And I'm sure they had conversations and John would come to her and say, Mary, can you just tell me about this virgin birth? (laughs) I need to know. Tell me how this really, and so he got to know. He got to firsthand talk to those who were there. He got to be there himself. And then he writes the best, I think, description of what Jesus did when he came to earth in John 3, 16 of Jesus' birth. And he says this, John 3, 16. He says, God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes, circle that word believes, everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So when he says believe there, it's not saying I just believe he exists. It's saying I admit I needed and I accept the gift. Now, I've said yes to him. He's my savior. How can I respond to that? And that's where I want to lead us to. How can I respond? I'm going to give you two responses. In the middle of these two, we're going to have communion together. And the first is this. Based upon what I know, that I know Jesus is my savior, my first response is to celebrate the gift I've received. I'm going to celebrate the gift I've received. I'm going to party. I'm going to have a Christmas party that's going to be like none other as I celebrate not 
necessarily giving gifts and not necessarily family and not necessarily relationships and not necessarily food. Somebody told me after the second service I couldn't say food there, but not necessarily food. But I'm going to celebrate the fact that I know Jesus Christ. When I wake up on that Christmas morning and I look outside, it's not going to be what's under the tree. It's going to be who was in the manger. And because he was in the manger, because he was born, because I've appropriated him as my savior, then I can have great joy. In fact, Paul in 2 Corinthians 9 talks about the gift and he says this. He says, thank God for this gift, too wonderful for words. It's really too wonderful for us to even express what he did for us. Now, what we're gonna do this morning is we're gonna have a time of communion and our communion is designed today to be a time of celebration in your heart. It's a time for you to celebrate today. As we have communion together, you celebrate the fact that you have said yes to Jesus as your Savior. Now, I know not everyone here has done that. And I want to give you a chance, if you've never said yes to Jesus as your Savior, that you would do that with us as well. So our ushers are going to move into place. As they're moving into place, I want to lead us in a prayer. So if you'd bow your heads and please close your eyes. So Jesus, we come to you today and we thank you so much that God gave you that incredible name that describes why you came. And today we want to just acknowledge that. Acknowledge that you are the Savior sent by God to save us. And God, first of all, we need to admit that we need saving. So if you've never done that today, you just say, Jesus, I admit it. I'm desperate for you. I cannot be good enough. I know I've tried. I've been there and I always end up failing. I need you. I admit that I am a sinner today in need of saving. And now, Jesus, I want to, just by faith right now, accept the gift that you offer me. Through what Jesus Christ did when he went to the cross and died and he took my punishment, I today accept your offer of salvation. I can't earn it. I can't be good enough for you. But I don't have to. Because you said that I just should accept it. And so I do that right now. I accept it. And I just want you to know that I am so eternally grateful. I'm so thankful. And that this Christmas will never be, and any Christmas forward will never be the same. I'm not going to let it get old. I'm not going to let it be ho-hum. I'm not going to yawn. I'm going to realize the importance of a celebrating Christmas every year because of what you've done to be our Savior. And God, as we move into this time of communion, I want to remind us of the prayer from last week that each of us could just be reflecting on. Search me and know my heart. Test me and show me my anxious thoughts. Show me anything that offends you and lead me to live the life you've called me to live. I just want to ask if you reflect on that as we have communion together. Ushers are serving now. Please take a cracker and a cup of the juice and then hold it and we'll have communion together after we're all served. Please don't talk to those around you. Allow every person to have their space as we get to have communion together.